Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is another session of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm here with Adam Hansen. We are attorneys with Deason, Garner, and Hansen, and we are in studio here with guests Anna Karen and uh, Cody Beeson, who is running the board. We're going to start off this morning with a little comedic relief from Cody Beeson. Oh, mercy. Yes. Hey, thank you, Sean. I mean, I, I've been doing this uh, 9 to 8 comedy thing for, for, we've been doing shows and open mics, and there's a show this Friday at The Crest, 928comedy.com, buy tickets to see Willie Barcina. It's a, he's a, actually a huge comedian coming to town. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity to just kind of get one out there. I don't know. I refuse to have bad days. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like really blessed. We live in America. Everything's amazing. I, I We have a great day. And sometimes, you know, we have bad days when things aren't working right. You know, like the Bluetooth isn't working in your car when it was just working with your AirPods. And I, I just got to reflect, like, you know what? It's still a better day than the poor kid that's mining the cobalt for my AirPods. Right? Because he probably is still using headphones. <laughs> all right. That's all, I, that's all I got. He has no shoes, Cody. He has no shoes. And he's using a stick. <laughs> But, you know, seriously, he's carrying we, the bag of cobalt on his back. I know. And seriously, and we get upset because we're fighting with other adults in traffic just to end up at the same red light. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And like in hey, perspective some person that is a valid fight. OK, <laughs> I, I hear you. But we're all ending, ending up at the same place. And, and life is is good here. So just enjoy it. That is true. I like that. Um, I want to follow that up with um, a quote. I, we want to start doing a quote for each show. And the quote today is coming from an interchange with Abraham Lincoln when a reporter once asked him if he ever admitted whether when he made mistakes. And uh, he replied, yes, I do make amends for my big mistakes, but not for the little ones. And the reporter responded, what do you mean by little mistakes? And Lincoln replied in his typical way in saying, well, once I said liar, when I meant to say lawyer, but there was such little difference that I didn't see the purpose of correcting it. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a lawyer, and we are lawyers, so we can get that joke, and yet another lawyer joke for the public to uh, put out there. Um, You're just perpetuating perpetuating the stigma? Yes, there is. had been there. (laughs) So... um, we, we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in our community, and we like to talk about local issues as much as national and world politics, because in the end, that's where it comes down to. Often we talk about, you know, presidential elections, but we don't talk about who's being elected for city council, and that's the people that are actually making the big decisions in, in our community here. And more recently, um, an issue has come up where... My kids are involved in sports, and the conundrum is presented, what is the real purpose of sports? Is it to get kids involved in teams and activity, to get them exercise, to teach them discipline and sacrifice, or is it to win a trophy? And I know as in my prior life as an athlete, I wanted to win. And as a coach, I wanted to win. Now as a parent of six, with my youngest getting into catch-and-go flag football, I want them to learn. I want them to be able to participate. And so presently, um, we're just 
ending the catch and go season. I love catch and go flag football because um, it's a great entry level sport for both boys and girls to play and um, they get that physical activity, but they're not getting, you know, their, their face bashed in They're they, they got the flags to pull instead of tackle. And so it's, it's a great entry-level sport. Now, my child uh, is six years old, and uh, so he's on a six-and-under team. And during the season, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. Um, he was getting no offensive time, so he never got to carry the ball. He never got to throw the ball. He never got to catch the ball. Um, they put him as a defensive player who would just pull flags and he'd, he'd pull flags with the best of them and I thought that's fine you know the coach gets to make decisions um, generally it's the coach's kids that get the playing time and I get that you always want have a bias against your uh, with your own kids um, and uh, those who you've played with in the past the uh, kids of your friends that uh, are also on the team so I didn't make much of a big deal about it at first and then as he started to get less and less playing time, even though in practice he's pulling just as many flags and showing that he could, he could perform just as well as any other defensive player, what was happening is they were putting in um, the best players on both offense and defense. And, of course, best is a biased term. But um, they were doing what they thought was best for the win and, and best for the individual that would perpetuate them to the higher score. And sometimes we're, we're beating these teams out. Other teams, we were a very good team. We only lost one game um, in the regular season. And uh, we were beating some teams by the mercy rule when you get 40 points or more. And still, my kid and a couple other kids were sitting on the bench. And I was biting my tongue. I have been loud about that in the past and um, I thought you know it's not worth the drama but um, we have this text string um, this group text between the parents that we coordinate practices and game time and so on and so forth and one parent wrote a text that discussed this issue and was concerned about her child being sat the entire game when we were beating the other team by double digits and she had to explain to her child why he didn't suck just because he got sat. And he's five years old. And when she asked the coaches why he didn't get a play, they, they tell her, we play people with more experience for these certain games, especially at the end of the season. And I'm thinking, these kids are six and under. How much experience do you expect, right? And uh, so I want to read a couple of the texts. These are direct quotes from the text string that I got here. The one um, with the, the parent with the five-year-old, she said, my five-year-old should not think he sucks, and that's why he didn't play. These kids have all done their part. This isn't solely about winning. Um, to which there was a response made to her, and this is, again, a direct quote in a text string. Uh, decisions were made aiming to get us to the playoffs, especially after last week's bleep show. Okay, so I thought, you know what, this first parent needs a little bit of support. I wasn't going to get involved, now I am going to get involved. Just sitting at home in my little protected atmosphere, and I'm going to text something. So I, I sent out a text, and I said, life has winners and losers, but at six, working together as a team trumps winning as a group of individuals. 
And I'm just going to leave it at that. I thought that was pretty benign. Um, but I did get a response to that. And it was, if you guys want your kids to have fun, take him to the park. Don't put him in competitive sports. It don't matter if they're six or 12. <laughs> I don't know. Someone's living their fantasies through kids. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so it, it, it really it kind of sounds like it's a coaching thing. Like it's a mentality of a coach. And I don't know. Are, is there a lack of, of parents that willing to step up and be coaches? Or is this more of like a daycare where they drop the kids off and pick them up in a couple hours? Or Well, let's say that it is. Let's say that uh, we've got parents that have heavy work schedules or otherwise busy, right? It's, it's, it's hard to assume that they're just negligent and they're just trying to get rid of their kids for a couple hours a day. And uh, they want their kids to be involved in sports. This is a city-run program. They pay, I think, it's around $150 for them to participate in it. That $150 only covers the uniform and the flags, probably a little bit of pay for the referees. But um, the coaches don't get paid. I know that. The coaches volunteer. In fact, Adam and I coached a catch-and-go team. I think it was eight and under when we coached. Do you remember what age they were, Adam? Yeah, I think it was around that. I think they were eight-year-olds. Yeah. And we didn't catch any flack from the parents. Now, we both had kids on the team. I had my daughter on the team. You had your son on the You had two sons on the team, in fact. And um, we had some really good players. Um, one was your son i know your older son was the quarterback and um one was not my daughter and she she was a she was a great contribution to the team spirit but she wasn't she wasn't um she wasn't running the ball into the, the end zone all the time but she but she played i mean played every game there is a role for everybody on the team i think a good so as you're talking i'm thinking of my own high school experience and i came from a podunk town and we were constantly on top. And it wasn't because we were necessarily the best in the state. It was just because we had good coaches that understood the qualities and the talents of each of us as an individual. And they would put us in a role where we could thrive. I think as I look back on it, because we really weren't spectacular individually, but together we, we became very, very good because our coaches were smart enough and uh, well aware of our talents and what we did well and very well and what we thrived on. And so they would put us in a role where we would feed off each other and it became a champion championship style team. And I often think about that, like we shouldn't have been that good because we really weren't the best talented individuals. But as we pulled together as a team and the right roles, we supported each other and things happened. And so I think a good coach can do that. Regardless of, and I think back to our experience that you're bringing up because Molly was great, you know, Christian was great. They weren't quarterback material at that particular time. They might be now, but at that time they weren't the ones that we're going to rely on to throw the ball down the field, but they were really good at, and they had fun pulling flags. So they had defensive roles and they were really good at that and they thrived on that. So put them in that role and they feel like they're contributing and they can play, they can play. They don't ride the bench the whole game. And they're gonna they're gonna make plays because they feel like they're contributing, and it, it just uh, compounds on itself. It's like an exponential gain when it comes to success. As they pull more flags or they exceed excel in that role, then they do better and better and better. So a good coach, I think, can see the good in every player that they have. Yeah. You don't get to choose your players. 
most of the time, unless you're in like a private school and you're, you're okay. going out and recruiting. However, in the, in the community sense, like you're talking about the flag football program run by the city, you don't get to choose your players. And I think it's the coach's responsibility to see the good or talent in every player and find a role for them where they can succeed. And that's what practice is for. And it sounds like the text message that you got to me, my first thought was, well, you don't win games on game day. You win games in practice. That's when you win games. You told me when we were on our trip this last week about how you, Sean, were, on a, were part of a championship team through high school, very, very successful wrestling team. And you mentioned that there are a lot of kids on that team and every, your coach would use you guys, those really strong wrestlers, to pull the rest of them along, but not in, not in matches necessarily, but it was in practice. You guys were expected to be there and never be late. The coach was driving an hour and a half from his house every day to get to practice, and he, he was always there on time, and he expected more from you because you guys were closer. And so there are little things that the coach expected of you, and that pulled you along. And then he used you as an example to pull those that in practice really were kind of slacking. That would have been me in high school. I was always a slacker. They called me Game Time Hanson because I would just kind of lackadaisically go through practice and then full bore in, in, the, in the games. And my coaches used to get so frustrated with that. And it wouldn't have flied in, in, your, in your team. I would have been way down low because... But you, but you were successful in your own right. Uh, yeah. You would, won state championships. Yeah, it, it worked for me, but my coaches were frustrated with me. Because that was my mentality, the kind of kuna matata, lackadaisical. I would, in my mind, I was like, why am I going to kill myself, coach, in practice when I can do that in the game? You already know my talent. And I was riding on the raw talent that yeah. I had. And yeah. uh, sometimes that just, in real life, you get to a point where you can't do that anymore. And I wish I would. I, I've since learned that, that life lesson that you put in the work beforehand so that you can succeed when it really comes down to it. And I guess that's the point that I'm getting at. What is the real purpose of sports? Because there's such a small minority of people that go on to make a living in sports and are paid because of their talent. And I love sports for the reason that there doesn't seem to be discrimination in sports. In sports, there's not black or white, right? There's not Latin or Oriental or whatever you want to call it. It's just the best performing athlete gets the game time. And I, and I believe there's a time and a place to put the best performer out there. But that best performer generally pulls the rest of the team. He's a leader and he motivates them to get better, all of them, to put forth their best performance. In fact, there's a series out there, Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I was, I was just thinking of that. Were you? The first thing that came to mind when you said that, you're, you're talking about this le leader that pulls people along was Michael Jordan. I mean, but as you watch that, I don't know if you finish that series, you'll start to find out that his teammates hated him. And it wasn't because of... Um, it was a love-hate. It was a love-hate. Yeah. They respected him, but they it was not fun to play with him or practice with him because he constantly expected perfection. Yes. And he lived that too. I mean, he, he, he wasn't just uh, lip service, but he was constantly pulling his teammates along. And it gets... It gets um, wearing after a while you know it gets really it drags you down um if you're not up to the task but michael jordan had the ability to do that and pull people along yeah well and you you get these teams that actually perform greater than any expectation like the 1980 olympic hockey team miracle on ice they if you watch that movie it's such a great movie i think that's one of the, the best movies 
about a sports drama where they, they put it together and they really indicated how it was the team that made the win. It wasn't the individual players. In fact, when the coach was selecting the players, he bypassed a lot of the players that were actually individually more talented for those that would fill the spot that needed to be filled and contribute to the team growth and, and the overall atmosphere of winning. And it, it all goes to that saying that um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I think it's Aristotle that said that. And that is so true. When you work together as a team, you can't dissect it individually and say we're doing well because this kid did this and this kid did that. It's the combination of everybody working together. And what sports does and why I think sports are so important and it's really important to keep them in high school, in junior high, in college is because it contributes as much to a child's development as the sitting in class for math, science, geography, and the rest of it. It teaches the child responsibility. It teaches a child that other people rely on you to pull your weight. And that's what we need in society, for people to show up when it's time to show up. If you don't show up to math class and you get an F, it's not going to affect the rest of your class. But if you don't show up to work and other people are relying on you to get a project done, that's a big problem. And we all live in a society that's integrated with a group of workers. We could not achieve what we've done and what we continue to achieve individually. And sports teaches that. But there's a level that um, you need everybody to be given participation time, regardless of their skill level. I, I agree that at varsity sports in high school, then definitely the coach gets to decide which players to give more playing time. I would like to see more coaches that work on developing a deep bench. And by doing that, you got to give more players time on the court or the field or whatever it may be. But those are exceptional coaches that do that. At six years old, the kids get to play. Let them play. If it's on defense, I'm okay with that. Maybe every kid doesn't get the quarterback role, and that's all right. Maybe every kid isn't a running back or a receiver. But every kid should get a time to go in, especially if there's only 10 kids on a team and six kids are out there on the field at a time, then they need to have the opportunity to switch out and play every rotation. I don't agree with benching a kid for multiple rotations and especially an entire game because that just reinforces, I think, some natural stigma that we all have that we're not good enough. And it's very, very detrimental. And it's not only detrimental to the individual, it's detrimental for the team because the other players that are getting the playing time, it reinforces that discriminatory attitude that, you know what, I'm better than you, you don't make the cut, therefore you don't deserve any of my time, attention, or participation as, as a team. And uh, I, I think that's wrong, especially at six years old. Now, where that transition goes from everybody gets to participate at six to only the elite get to participate at varsity sports, certainly D1 college-level sports, and then very especially professional sports, I don't know exactly where that transition is, but I know for sure 
every six-year-old needs to play every rotation during every game. And winning and losing is absolutely secondary. That's my opinion. I'd love to hear an opposing opinion. Well, we're going we're gonna to pick this up after the break. we got to go to break. We'll be right back after this. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about uh, local issues, and today we're talking about kids playing sports. Um, I've got six kids, and uh, my youngest is six years old. I also have uh, an eight-year-old playing and a uh, 12-year-old playing. My eight-year-old just turned nine during the season, and my 12-year-old turned 12. Anyway... Um, the point is there are different levels of competition where it makes sense to have the, the players that have put in a lot of time off the field to get more playing time on the field. My question is, when is that? And at six-year-old, I, I think we can stay in a safe zone at six that that's not the case. If you're still using a T for T ball or flags for flag football, it's yeah. probably too early. You know, if you're not, if you don't have money riding on the game, probably too early. Yeah. So, I mean, flag football, they play the, these kids all the way up until they are, uh, I think, 13. I think that's how old they get for flag football, 13, 14. And uh, they get pretty competitive. And you got these kids that are playing year round sports and, and competing. But it's still it's a it's a city sponsored flag football. It's not going any. We're not having any state level competition or even regional level competition. It's just Yuma teams playing each other. All right. So l- let me ask you: um, Would you feel the same way as flag football versus like Pop Warner? Because no. it's because I mean Pop Warner, you're obviously in pads and gear. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Okay. Because Pop Warner, you're 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 going to be traveling. This is a um, team that it's, it's a competitive team specifically set up to go compete against other towns, eventually in state, and then go on to the national level. And so these kids and the parents that are getting these kids involved, they understand that they're going to the next level. Whereas flag football, in fact, it says it right there in the city brochure, this is a great entry-level sport for all kids to get involved and learn how to participate as a team. And uh, I think at that, we need to learn to participate as a team. I'm not at all for equal outcomes. Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about reparations because some people have been treated or their ancestors were treated unequally in the past. And I totally disagree with that. I also disagree with... um, the government managing the transfer of wealth from those that are very successful to those who are not. I think that the government needs to set up a set of laws, constitution, that uh, allows for equality in opportunity. Everybody should have an equal opportunity to pursue happiness, to pursue their dreams, to pursue ownership of property, and to work hard and to own the fruits of their labor. But I don't believe that those who don't work deserve to eat the bread of the laborer. And uh, I think that there is some version of sports that that's not true yet, that we need to treat our kids all equally and 
the outcome in this case is the playing time on the field and give them the equal amount of playing time. Now the coach gets to decide who gets the ball, who throws the ball, who runs the ball, who catches the ball, so on and so forth. And he, I don't think that the parent that, that is not dedicating and volunteering their time to coach gets to be too critical about the coach's decisions when it comes to the tactics of the game. But as far as the playing time in the game, these kids need to have equal playing time on the kids. As six years old and and eight-year-old, I would say that that, that still holds true for eight-year-olds. And there's a strong argument for 12-year-olds. The irony of this all was my six-year-old had the least amount of playing time of all my kids. And he was one of the more talented of all three kids. And I run the risk of my kids hearing this. But he's a great little flag puller. He would pull flags with the best of them. And by the time they become eight and nine, a lot of these kids have been playing this sport for several years. And they've developed the skills that um, set them apart from the other players. And and my child, my eight-year-old, you know, he was six during the coronavirus years. And so he wasn't participating in sports. So this is his first opportunity to participate in flag football. And so um, he didn't have the same talent as the other players, but he played a little bit more than my six-year-old. And my 12-year-old, he hasn't had that much time on the field either. And he focuses more on other things. He likes computers. He likes music. He likes other things. He does enjoy sports, but he's not, he's not all out playing baseball, football, anytime and any opportunity he gets. And he got the most playing time because his coach believed in that philosophy that Adam was talking about, that the team mentality and everybody contributing where they can was more important than just putting the stars in on both sides, offense and defense, just to win the game and run up the score. How are the coaches decided? I mean, do you guys vote on it at the beginning of the year? Is it- no, there is um, the, the city... Uh, ask for volunteers, okay. and then the coach volunteers, and they get they can volunteer for uh, a team that their child is on. And Adam and I have done that. We've participated in that. We've we've served as coaches, so I know what it takes to be a coach. Um, it, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of time taken away, and so I give a lot of credit. I don't want to take any credit away from those coaches out there that are sacrificing so much time for my kid to learn this great lesson of life of competing and showing up and benefiting um, something larger than himself. But uh, at the same time, I think that the coaches can get that bug and, and, and allow it to chew away at them that winning is more important than helping these kids understand all the life lessons that come along with playing sports. And especially, I mean, let's say that a parent just drops their kid off, right? instead of staying for practice, instead of staying after practice and playing catch with the kids. I would say that kid is just as deserving, if not more deserving, than any of the other kids because perhaps he doesn't have that parental support for one reason or another. Maybe he comes from a single-parent family, or maybe their parent is just working their butt off to put the food on the table. And so he needs the support from the community, from this coach who's volunteered, to fill that void that he's got in his life. Not all of these kids in our community have it equal. And then the kids that have dads that will go home and play with them every day after work and take that time, great for them. But do they need need to get added upon at game time too and these kids continue to get um, lesser treatment and lesser attention both at home and 
on the sports field? I think you're thinking of a perfect scenario. You're just uh, thinking that, like, hey, this coach. Because sometimes reality can be a little bit more worse than, than it can be. I like I I um I had a nephew that was in uh, t-ball, real like about like, six years old. Uh, we I used to go to his games because I thought they were funny because like they they were cute, they're adorable. Everyone got to play, but um but if you just leave them like say like you leave your kid with with one coach and it's just one coach and thirteen kids, it's it becomes a madhouse. So like uh like. In, in that sense, it's like, yeah, I want my kid to play and I want to be there. It's like, I understand where you're coming from there. But you uh, like, at the other part, you have to kind of look at what the coach is working with. It's okay. like, eh. So you're one of those that would agree with this quote. If you guys want your kids to have fun, take them to the park. Don't put him in competitive sports. Don't matter if they're 6 or 12. Mm, I would not agree with that, no. Because competitive sports, to me, starts when you're at, like, at 12 or 13. When you have the concept of what cons- uh, like uh, competitive is. To me, like when you're playing t-ball or you're playing uh, like flag football, like when you're 6... You don't know what's going on. <laughs> do, they, do they still have training wheels on their bikes? Yeah. At that age? No, my kids don't. Some okay. kids do. But I do think that it's more about the parents, honestly, at, at that age, um, projecting <laughs> what they want onto the kids. Yes. They're, they're living vicariously through their kids. They want to win. They no longer have the knees or the the um, (laughs) youth to to, to play sports themselves yeah and they want the kid to win and and so they want they want to live through their kid and so what they do is they ingrain in their kid that this is important this is important for you when in reality it's important to them yeah it's important to them they forget how to be a kid the problem is not the kids the problem is the parents the problem could be the coach, but I believe that the coach gets a lot of outside pressure from the parents. And then what happens is at six, they get their um, little team assembled, and then they go on to eight and 12, and that team continues on. And the same players that got a lot of playing time continue to get better, and um, success generates more success, and those who don't play on the team continue to get buried further and further in anonymity. And so I think that we really need to address it at the root, and that's at that young level at six years old. So I absolutely support this parent that says she should not have to explain to her five-year-old that it doesn't suck because the coach didn't have the perspective in life to allow him to participate in a game that is for five and six-year-olds in flag football. I, I think that's wrong. I think the coach needs to gain some perspective, appreciate his, opt- his volunteering, and um, I'll do it again in the f- future, I'm sure, and I've done it in the past. But I'm not, I'm not dismissing or discounting at all his willingness to volunteer his time yet. He is not taking the greatest opportunity that's available to give these kids the enriched experience. And I think he wouldn't take anything away from the kids that do get more playing time and therefore win and run up the score. I think he would actually enrich their lives more by showing that by being good leaders and pulling up the rest of the pack with them, they could actually be even more successful in life by being leaders and actually constructive, compatible, and compassionate people in contributing to society rather than just looking out for number one. My oldest son, he's going to high school right now, and their program is not the best. <laughs> and so he, he has played flag football in the past. He's been 
relatively good at it, you know. And um, and so when the time came that I loved football when I was in high school and I did really well at it, and was I would say it was probably my favorite sport out of everything I did. But and I want that for him as well. But because their program is is really lackluster, I didn't want him to run the risk of getting hurt in football that could be life altering. When really I knew their their program was not a winning program, so I convinced him not to go out for football, rather to do swim to get his lungs ready for baseball season and things like that. He's not like like a lot of your kids as well, Sean. I, they don't love swim, but they do it for the purpose of, you know, Swim's doing a tough something. Sport. It's, it's very tough. It's individualized. You're part of a team, but you're also individual as well. So the, the, fo- the spotlight is on you, a lot like wrestling. And um, but it is great for your cardiovascular system, and it really builds your your lungs for other sports. And so, I encouraged him to do that mostly because I didn't think he'd have a good experience, knowing what I knew about the football program at the high school he attends. And really, I I bring this up because it's a double-edged sword. You're you're saying I want every kid to play equal playing time for all, um, but at the same time. We want them to have fun, and it's no fun if you're not winning, and it's a losing program. And so I think when you get to that level, and as you were speaking about six-year-olds, I think it's a different concept because six-year-olds, in my mind, they really don't understand whether they won or lost the game most of the time. There's not actually even a score displayed on the field. You're kidding. The, 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 The refs do keep score, and eventually there is a playoffs at the end. But the kids don't see the score. So if the, the perception of winning or losing is instilled in their mind, it's because the parents are also keeping score and telling the kids who's winning. Now, people know when they make a touchdown, but they don't understand running up the score and, and, and beating a team by the mercy rule. Not at that level. I mean, not at that, that age. The, the and kids so, don't. The coaches do. So I would agree with you in the sense that I think – at that particular age group, and, and even around that age group, getting into the seven or eight-year-old, even nine sometimes, I, I think winning and losing isn't as important as getting experience on the field, on the playing field. It's a different experience when you're practicing every day than when it's actually game time. And how you perform in game time, that's what I think sports is such a great uh, a theater for this is it's one thing to be the best off the field when you're in practice and you're doing your very, very best in practice and you're very skilled. It's another thing to do it when it matters at that particular second moment in time when it actually has to matter. Are you going to break? Are you going to rise to the occasion despite the spotlight being on you? And so going back to Michael Jordan, he's a great example of this. Um, If you've watched The Last Dance, that, that series of the Bulls as they grew with Michael Jordan and Pippen and, and that whole era in the 90s, well, in the late 80s, early uh, and through the 90s, you'll see that he rose the occasion almost every time. And it's the difference between I'm okay um, in, in games. I have one child that I would, I, I hate to say this, uh, you know, over the air, but <laughs> they are very good in practice and very skilled but when it comes to game time, they have a hard time performing. I don't know what it is. It's If it's the nerves, if it's the pressure, and that's the beauty of sports. It's not so much being great off the field. It's being great off the field and 
coming through in the moment that it's your time to come through and actually coming through. That is, it's a, a sight to behold. And you, you talked about the miracle on ice and the beating the Soviets in, in the 80s. And that was the thing was that that was their moment in time and they took it. And that's the glorious thing about sports is to be participants in an audience of that. It's almost uh, spiritual in nature because yes. it's like, oh my gosh, you worked so hard and you were actually able to perform at the exact second that you needed to, and it's a miracle. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, but many times, you know, the the larger lessons in life from most people that participate in sports is the ability to work together as a team, and you're not going to go on to participate in D1 college competitions or in professional sports. Um, so I'm not talking about even varsity sports in, in, in high school where you get much more discretion as to who to play, and winning is a bigger part of it. But uh, I think these city leagues, these, these peewee teams, um, gosh, I, I, I would advocate for these coaches to open up their perspective a little bit and think about how much good they could have on the community by especially helping children that don't have their talents developed yet to develop a little more talent and those children that um, they're only going to be doing sports at that level and then not hereafter. And they could still learn some great life lessons, especially if they don't have that support at home. And then it shows when they come to practice that they're not very coordinated. Give them the extra support that they need. Pay a little extra time to them because the really talented kids, they're going to be okay. And you're going to be okay if you don't have a winning season or win the whatever trophy it is you get for winning all of flag football. I don't even, I don't even think there is a trophy at the end of it. It's just all the coach's pride and the parent's pride. It's, and that's what it's about. The kid's pride is not going to be hurt. They're not even going to remember it when they're teenagers. It's about the parents and the coaches living through their kids and patting their ego a little bit. we got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. This is 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hansen. I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Sean Garner, my partner in crime here at uh, Deason, Garner, and Hansen. We've got Cody, and uh, we've got Anna Karen. But uh, Sean and I took a trip recently, and we went to um, Puerto Rico. It sounds like you know, some exotic thing, but really it was just because we had to get uh, continuing education. As attorneys, in order to maintain our license, we're required to have a certain amount of hours of continuing education every year. And so after classes every day, we would also, we'd need to eat. So we would go to dinner somewhere, you know, cheap as possible and as fun as possible. Sean has two requirements. He would tell me every time when we're looking for a place to eat, I don't want to wait and I don't like loud environments. So we would look for uh, different places that would meet those requirements. It's kind of hard in Puerto Rico where their, um, their culture is very loud. I was going to say, that is a very loud culture. Latin, you must Latin have culture. starved for a while. No, we found places and it was really fun. Everywhere we ate it was really, really good. Well, one why do I bring this up? One of the places we were sitting, I'm tying this all in, I promise. But one of the places we were sitting down to eat and they had a TV that we could see, and they had some sports going on that playoff games for the NBA going on, and then they had something else, um, some other documentary, sports documentary on another TV, 
And so on one of the commercials there, there popped up this quote, and I mentioned it to Sean as we were eating because I thought it was really, really kind of uh, interesting. It said, um, well, it was a question. It says, did you know that 80% of female executives played competitive sports growing up? And I thought that was a huge, huge Yeah, it was uh, an ad for the NCAA, you know, people to participate in women's sports. When I looked into that study, so I Googled it and I found the actual study. It was a 2015 study. What they did was they went out and they – they asked 400 women executives of five, uh, Fortune 500 companies whether or not they played sports, and 80% of them responded that they did. And uh, so that's where they got that study. I thought that was really interesting because I have four girls of my own, and we try to keep them active in different sports um, so that they you know, learn life skills. I think a lot of great skills can be learned through sports, but not if you're riding the bench all the time necessarily. I, I agree, and I think – you, Sean, have experienced, I've experienced it, where we've got kids that they didn't play as much as maybe we hoped they would play, and then it, it turns into this uh, life lesson that we have to talk about. And my response has always been, well, as a parent, you're thinking, why isn't my kid playing? I know they have the skill set, you know, and I know that they can do well. So one of the life lessons, I think, is teaching them how to respond to that situation. I have a, a nephew who's incredibly good at basketball, and he's small for for his age and over in California. But he, I mean, this guy is incredible at basketball. And it turned out that when he went into high school, he was like a midget compared to all these other kids on the basketball team. And so he rode the bench a lot because of his perceived size. But when he gets the ball, he makes things happen. And it was it's really incredible to watch him work. And so finally... Um, and he was having a hard time because he was on top of his game coming into high school. Everybody knew how good he was, but now he's in a different environment, and now he has to work his way into the system and prove that I am really good despite my size compared to everybody else. And it took a while for that to happen, and he had a real hard time with that. And our kids have a hard time with that. And as a parent, it's like, how do you react? Do you come down on the coach and say, put my kids in? You know, I don't care if they're not uh, they're not the best. They need to play, and you you be demanding. Do you do you work on their behalf? My my response was more like, well, if you want to play, then you need to go to your coach and take it up with your coach. What and ask them a question. What do I need to do to play? What am I not doing that you need to see so that I can get in? And I want them to take responsibility so that they can get better as as a uh, player, number one, but number two, so they develop life skills of, if there's a problem, then talk it out with that individual and figure out, well, you're not seeing something that I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm doing everything I can and, and, and obviously I'm not seeing something, so what is it more that I need to do to show you that I can perform or play on this team or what do I need to do, basically? And, and, and that in and of itself is a wonderful life skill. Because if they can, number one, take accountability for them working harder and doing something that they're not seeing needs to be worked on to actually participate, that's one thing. And for them to fight for their opportunity to get what they they need and they deserve out of life. A lot of times you need that, whether you're working for an employer and you say, I deserve this promotion, I deserve this raise, I deserve to be recognized, or I want to be deserving of this what can i do to be better we will all want employees like that we all want to be people that contribute like that but where do you first learn it 
you learn it in sports. You don't learn that necessarily in the classroom. You learn in the classroom your basic skills of you know math and reading and and science, but you don't learn the ability to articulate for yourself and and to um, discuss what it is that need that you need to do to become better, and and then implement that and see it being produced. And that actually helps so much. In fact, um, as, as I got into the legal field, I felt very lost initially coming right out of law school. Law school, they t- teach you a lot of precepts, but they didn't teach you how to actually file a lawsuit, how to actually stand up in court and, and be there without notes and be able to answer questions on the fly. Now, if you participated in like mock trial or moot court or those other optional things that you can in law school, then you'd get a little bit of those skills. But what that is, is that is in sports ingrained in you. Coach, what do I got to do to get better? And then he says something, you say, okay, I can do this. And you go out and, and when the pressure's on, the spotlight's on, you can see whether or not you perform. You practice that ability to perform under pressure. And that actually will convert into progress and success in, in life, in, in the work arena. And that's why I think that so many of those women executives were prior athletes because they learned that skill to actually drive and seek to do what was needed. It wasn't that they were just forceful, adamant people. They actually had the skills or knew where to look for, to acquire the skills to be deserving of those positions of the executive. I think as parents, our, our first initial reaction is to fix the problem for a kid. You know, when you see them going through such a hard time of anxiety and, and issues in their personal lives, we might have lived that before. And so our first thing is to coddle them or to, our reaction is to protect them. You don't want them to experience discomfort naturally. But in reality, I always try and take a pause and I try, like I'm, I'm talking like I'm a perfect parent. I am a horrible parent. <laughs> I want that to be clear. Mm. But I do try to not solve their problems initially even though I really want to and feel like I know the answer because I, I want them to work through their own problems and gain those skills of going through hard things and, and being able to trial an error now as opposed to when it really matters when they're an adult and uh, they're subject to criminal, criminal statutes and yeah. <laughs> civil penalties and things like that. Knowing what we know as attorneys, you know, we want to get the bad stuff out now or learn those skills now so that when they're actual adults in our, in our community, they're doing good and they're um, good citizens. And that's why my plea is to the coaches out there to allow these kids that opportunity, give them the feedback they need, give them the opportunity on the field. You may not win, but you'll get something much more valuable and you'll give something much more valuable. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.